Hi, this is Greg Voison, inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth episode, number 893, with author Angel Millar about his new book entitled The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in an Age of Chaos. This podcast, number 893, is brought to you by Jonathan Brill, author of a new book entitled Rogue Waves, Future Proof Your Business to Survive and Profit from Radical Change. In this podcast with Jonathan, we discuss the many factors that can create rogue waves that would affect your business adversely. At this moment, rogue waves are forming under your business, emerging technology, changing demographics, the data economy, automation, and other trends are undercurrents of radical systemic change crashing into each other. Jonathan speaks about resilient growth strategy and breaks them down into the ABCs, which stand for Awareness, Behavior, and Culture. To learn more about Jonathan Brill and his new book, Rogue Waves, please visit his website at www.jonathanbrill.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Angel Millar about his new book entitled, The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in the Age of Chaos. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from New York is Angel Millar. And Angel, hopefully I said your last name correct. Is that right? Yes, you did. Perfect. Good. Good. Angel has a new book out. And the book is called The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in an Age of Chaos. And boy, have we had our chaos lately. I think an appropriate uh, book to have out right now. Um, What I would like to do, Angel, is let the listeners know a little bit about you. Uh, Angel is a well-known lecturer on intuition, symbolism, and self-development, as well as an artist and student of the martial arts. Um, he is the author of several books, including the three stages of initiatic. I always want to get that right. Okay. (laughs) Spirituality. And he lives in New York and you can find out more about, uh, angel by just going to his website. Uh, it's angelmillar.com and that's M I L L A R. And there you will see more about his books, about him, about what he's doing. Uh, And it's a pleasure having you on the show because, you know, um, you you write a lot about, um, I'm going to call it history in this book. Um, And you you get into a lot of um, characters that some of the people listening today, even though who who follow spirituality, may or may not know. my sense is is that you're you're very deep in this area, and I think that's a good thing because it pushes people's uh, opportunity to explore uh, not just their intellect but their spirituality. And right. if you would tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why your personal focus on wanting men to find the path to this warrior mystic. Um, you know, I've had other gentlemen on here speaking about masculinity recently uh, in today's world and yeah. how it's so confused. Yes, it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, very much so. Well, to go into my background first, um, I, I became interested in spirituality a little bit when I was around the age of 15. So that was quite young. Um, and I, I bought a book on astral projection, tried it, didn't really understand it entirely. Um, but when I was 17, I came across a kind of new age, uh, neo-pagan shop that I became very involved with, uh, spending days there uh, and reading a lot, practicing different types of meditations. And um, later on, I became involved with um, um, some more kind of esoteric organizations, um, but Really, about the age of 20, I'd, I'd become a little bit disillusioned with uh, much of what I had seen. Um, by that point, I was uh, at our college. I'd also taken up, um, oh, I began to take up uh, Kung Fu, Shaolin Kung Fu. And, um, and so 
in a way, this book is a little bit of a reflection, not only of um, the tradition of uh, classical civilizations in regards to manhood, but also of my own journey, which is one of um, sort of having this sort of masculine and feminine. So on the one hand, fine art, and on the other hand, um, martial arts. And um, yeah, where did find- the where did the Freemasonry part come in? It's yeah, interesting. You right. mentioned Western <laughs> mystery schools, occult. Yeah, um, and you know, I I did a little bit digging, and my wife um, Lisa yeah. is the um, head of a Western mystery school called Builders of the Atenum. Oh, the right, OTA. yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul Foster Case and yeah. Ann Davies and so on. And yeah. um, I have been married to her for 43 years and she's been in that all of those 43 years. She started when she was very young. Wow. Um, and it's interesting because I was trying to kind of make the connection between Freemasonry. Um, yeah. I know the BOTA, they actually meet uh, at Mason's buildings. You know, they have their chapter meetings right. there. So yeah. how did that come to play for you? Yeah. So I, I believe um, re- regarding the BOTA, uh, I believe Paul Foster Case was a Freemason. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Don't, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, like many, like many um, sort of spiritual authorities of that time, such as Manly Peel as well. Um, Freemasonry was something that I had been interested in, again, uh, from a very young age. And uh, I grew up in England. Uh, I now live in the US, but uh, I grew up in England. And at, at that time, um, Freemasonry, was still very well known, although most people would say all oh, Freemasons, they're, uh, they're kind of corrupt politicians and businessmen. It all sounded terribly dreary. And, um, and then later on, I was told that they practice uh, ceremonial magic when I was in my teens, which sounded a lot more exciting. Um, I don't especially believe it, but around uh, the age of probably 18, I managed to get a hold of them. Um, uh, used copies of a couple of Masonic rituals, the Rose Croix, which was obviously influenced by Rosicrucianism right. uh, and alchemy and hermeticism. Uh, I could tell that much. And also the Royal Arch, which is also in Great Britain influenced by Plato's idea of the elements, uh, yes. four or five elements, depending on how you look at it. And um, and it seemed to be highly intelligent. Again, I wasn't entirely able to make out uh, everything that it was saying. But it sort of piqued my interest. And then when I moved to the U.S., um, I would have been around the age of 29. Um, uh, I went into the Masonic Lodge in New York and uh, asked if I could become a Freemason. And then I think it was literally a year later that I that I became a member Um uh, and uh, yeah, and it, it sort of opened my eyes quite a lot. And in, in one way, um, it opened my eyes because I felt like it was stepping back in time about 300 years, you could kind of yeah. get a different feeling of history. But it also made a lot of sense uh, regarding the various sort of uh, Western mystery tr- traditions, orders that are out there, like the VOTA or the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Uh, why is Freemasonry in why is Freemasonry just for men? Um, well, it's a complicated <laughs> subject. <laughs> well, that's so, okay. Maybe I should not take you down that path because we want to get in your book. But no, no, you know, it's fine. No, no, you know, it's, fine. it's interesting yeah. because no, no, you don't, don't, you don't mm-hmm. see any female figures in Freemasonry. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's it's complicated in this sense. So the the quote unquote regular Freemasonry, which is the biggest one in in America and Great Britain, uh, they have organizations uh, for women, or the women can join, such as the Order of the Eastern Star. Um, so women can get involved in a Masonic society, as it were, uh, and they have rituals as well, um, which are very much related to Freemasonry. Um, so there there is that available for women. Um, and other, and there are other groups like the Rainbow Girls. I'm not sure what they are, and uh, other organisations. But um, but uh, there are there are also uh, women uh, only Masonic lodges. Not very many of them. There's one in Washington D.C. which is recognised by the United Grand Lodge of England. And so and so uh, women can join. They're just very obscure and a little hard to find in comparison they tend not to have their own buildings you can't just walk into one so so there are there are actually women freemasons and i think there have been women freemasons for several hundred 
is uh, yeah. No, no, you know, <laughs> one of the things we talked about is the kind of this division between the masculine and feminine, and that you know, man is divided creature. He compartmentalizes his life, uh, thinking of behaving one way at home, another at work, another with friends. And I'd say this is true. How would you recommend that integrating these different parts of our personality uh, become uh, part of who we are as men in today's world? You know, we live in a chaotic world. Let's face it. We live in a world where it's it's yeah. hard for people to find their identity. Um, you know, we see yeah. so much occurring in that way. And I think it's not good for the mental health of a man or a female for that matter, no, but in particular for men. No, no. Men. Yeah. Hmm. So how would, what, yeah, what would you, what would you recommend or to help people integrate all those elements of their personality? Hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think you have to have a focus and something you're aiming towards um, because this will, will at least sort of, um, allow you to not take on board every single fleeting desire that comes along and you can focus on some of them or one of them rather than every little thing that enters your mind. Um, so having a focus is definitely uh, a good idea. Um, personally, I'm sure we'll come back to this as well. Um, you know, I, I recommend um practicing some kind of hard art and some kind of soft art. So whether, you know, martial arts or weightlifting or something that's strenuous and it's going to push you physically, but something where you can, um, I don't want to say express yourself, although that's part of it, but you can express yourself in martial arts as well, but uh, something where you can uh, kind of appreciate beauty, uh, appreciate the feminine, um, you know, and, and appreciate this sort of, the more civilized uh, aspects of life and, and of nature as well, perhaps you could say. Interesting. You know, yeah. and you speak about the uh, atomization of modern society combined with cheap and immediate accessibility to entertainment via radio, TV, the internet. Uh, and it's all made it easy for individuals to avoid becoming part of a group uh, that meets in the physical world. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like you and I right now, we're meeting over yeah. Zoom. Um, and right. but also <laughs> to take pride in not being a joiner. You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, I'm not yeah, joining that group. Right. Um, why, in your estimation, yeah. is it so important in our world today for people to meet in groups? And how does this help men looking mm -hmm. to express masculinity and feminine sides of themselves? You know, uh, it's interesting mm -hmm. in these mm -hmm. orders like Mason, Freemasonry, what have they been doing? I'm wondering during the pandemic, you know, if people are not meeting because so many people aren't meeting these days. Yeah. They're just not, they're not coming That's together. Right. Yeah. No, they're not coming together. I mean, they, they were putting more education online. So lots of lectures, but I don't, that doesn't really compensate for, uh, for meeting in person. And, you know, I should say that I actually heard one prominent Freemason uh, on YouTube, I think it was, saying that he actually preferred um, the sort of education online and not going physically to a lodge. And I think that's kind of a tragedy. And um, if it's statistically, if you go back to the 1970s, uh, I think two thirds of America, two thirds of America, and I believe it was, uh, were still involved with clubs and going to regular club meetings, you know, whatever it may have been. And then it, from 1985 to 1994, there was a 45% drop in club attendance. And of course, you, you can find this as well in many kind of churches or religious institutions. Um, and so we've really become uh, uh, people, you know, a century ago, we would have been involved with a club, a church or a synagogue or some other religious institution, and maybe even some kind of trade guild as well, or some trade society. And um, so we would have had this huge network around us, as well as our friends and family who would have lived around us as well. And, but today we're more and more isolated, more and more cut off. And people have now take pride in this idea that they're not a joiner, as if joining something is a bad thing. And of course, uh, you know, I would say that, 
okay, you shouldn't be a joiner, you should be a contributor, because the more you contribute, the more you get back, the more, you know, more enjoyable anything is, but you also yeah. kind of learn about yourself at the same time. And um, uh, as to the benefits of uh, uh, joining or being involved with uh, like-minded groups, uh, I think there are many, um, you know, one of them is to have a support network uh, to some degree, definitely. And certainly in this very unstable world, we need some kind of support network. And, and I know that, um, uh, for example, the people who have the fewest contacts have the uh, earn the least money and the people with most contacts and the highest quality contacts earn the most money. So we do need some kind of network just to navigate this strange world that we live in. But I, but I would say um, more than that today, uh, another really good for reason for being involved with groups or clubs or you know, whatever it may be is that you will meet people before, people from different walks of life, people who have different ideas and life experiences to you. And, um, you know, the internet was sold to us as creating a global village. And now everybody says it's created um, a globe of different villages. We're all kind of isolated in our own echo chambers. And, um, you know, if you meet someone that you probably wouldn't friend online in real life, you're going to get a different life perspective. And there's too much in our time of people thinking that Anyone who thinks differently to me is evil or a bad person. And, you know, at least you can see that, no, you know, people have their own problems. They're not out there being malicious most of the time or they have their own life experiences. And you can kind of get a different read on society and people and life. Uh, and it's going to expand your mind and make you a little bit more compassionate towards other people as well, I think. Uh, that can only be a good thing. No, I agree with the fact that, you know, these Zoom calls or Zoom meetings, and I have to be, you know, obviously the podcast is one way to disseminate yeah. lots of information on books, right? I've done almost mm -hmm. 900 interviews now over 14 years. Yeah. So in one respect, it's very rewarding. In another mm -hmm. respect, um, I only meet about 10% of the authors physically. Right. Yeah. To sit down and have coffee or really you know, learn about them or become friends with them or do something more than just an interview. And I, and I honor what you're saying because it is so true there. Uh, we are more isolated today than ever. Hmm. Uh, COVID helped to exacerbate that isolation. Um, and yeah. it's not a good thing to have that. And, you know, you state that it's through the body that we express our true self and that our physical body is the alchemy, alchemy uh, laboratory in which we can test and experiment. Speak with us about the importance of this expression, as well as how our society today focus mm. so much on the intellect. You know, you look at everything. You yeah. know, I get I get three books a week in here from authors, and you go, "Well, is there another author going to write another book?" You know, and it's about this, and a lot of times it's about the same stuff, and I. I'm not saying that's yeah, a bad thing. Yeah. I'm just saying that if if you look at the 200 million titles or whatever they are at Amazon, whatever the number is, it's it's huge. Mm -hmm. You can find a book on anything, just about. Um, yeah, and it is expanding the intellect. But how is it helping us get to our true self? That's yeah. the question. Because you're saying the physical, just like you said a minute ago, do some weights, do some martial arts express yourself mm -hmm. in this mannerism. Um, you know, when you look at mind, body, spirit uh, connection, you're certainly looking at, when I say the arts, I'm going to use yoga as well. Uh, you may practice martial arts, right, but a lot sure. of people use yoga and meditation as a way to make a connection to a higher power, um, whatever that is, God, yeah. Buddha, whoever you want to call it. But the point is here, you're saying, this expression of the true self. I'd love to get your your opinion here. But yeah, so one thing that definitely is happening today that we're becoming very much stuck in our own intellects. And I wouldn't even say mind, it's really the intellect that we're stuck in. And we sort of criticize everything, discern, taking information, and the information is often very skewed as well. 
and they become very impassioned about information and say that we have the correct information and anyone who doesn't is an evil monster and they don't understand the information that we have. And it becomes this sort of very um, a cantankerous relationship with other people in yes. the world. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I'll speak for myself, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm, I studied at fine art in England, which is a very, uh, and, and design and fashion is a very feminine world. And I found that when I was practicing martial arts uh, and working out, I was actually a lot nicer person because I was able to kind of express some aggression and maybe not be as interested in all this craziness as well. And I found that, you know, when I wasn't doing that, I, there would be a lot more aggression in me. And we, we think of aggression as physical, but the, the world today, are so many people in it are intellectually aggressive and they are intending to hurt people or to cause damage to other people through what they say. And they, you know, would, would think of themselves as very nice people, but but uh, actually they're hurting themselves and hurting other people. And if they're too much in their intellect, um, we are a body. I mean, we're a mind as well, but we're a body. And if you neglect your body, if you don't train it the way you cultivate your mind, uh, things start to go horribly wrong. And you, you think about when you get sick, how how that affects your mind. You can't concentrate. You can't focus. You don't want to do anything. And people neglect their bodies thinking that their mind must be running perfectly well. But, but actually, it is affecting their thinking. They just don't realize it because they're so used to their body being unhealthy. And um, I forget, it's an extremely high percentage of people in America that are on uh, prescription drugs in any one month. I think it might be, it's almost 50%. And uh, there is no way a population should have almost 50% of, uh, on on prescription gr- drugs at any one time. <laughs> uh, so we do need to, you know, get healthy. And, um, you know, weightlifting, martial arts, it doesn't have to be that. It could be dance as well. It could be yoga, as you mentioned. Um, these could are all be breath, good things. We could really be want to cultivate work. our bodies, uh, just as we want to cultivate our mind as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to do it, and I totally concur with you that there needs to be a way for people to express themselves that way. So, Angel, you know, in your chapter on the necessary work, you speak about the contrast, which I thought was interesting, between Ayn Rand and the teachings of Zen Buddhism. Um, You state that ultimately we are um, supra-rational and we find meaning in the body, in the landscape, in sex, in love, in spirituality, ritual, family, brotherhood, friendship, and so on. In our modern world, how would you classify the warrior mystic and what do we have to do to give ourselves permission to express ourselves in this way? Yeah, so in regards to the warrior mystic, if you look back through uh, many different civilizations, uh, you find that that the sort of elite warriors were <clears throat> trained not only in a martial art and in physical um, expertise in for battle, but were also trained in uh, or taught um, the softer arts such as painting, calligraphy, um, uh, tea ceremony, and so on, depending on the culture. And uh, you know, many of these figures were quite quite bloodthirsty because they were warriors. Uh, Miyamoto Masashi, for example, Japan's most famous samurai, uh, is also renowned for his calligraphy, uh, his landscape gardening and uh, painting. In the West, you have a figure such as uh, the Viking Egil Skala Grimson, who was also uh, a Norse poet and the first poet to actually use um, uh, rhyme at the, at the, at the end of, the, uh, of each line rather than at the beginning. But um, and so you have this uh, sort of contrast that is brought together in a single individual. And today in our civilization, uh, we are encouraged very much to specialize and to find a niche and a niche within a niche, so that we have a, a sort of captive audience in some kind of particular area, especially within uh, the our profession, so that we can be an expert in some minuscule area. 
And uh, in our private lives, of course, we were also encouraged to be uh, one type of person. And um, it really doesn't matter if um, you are uh, from a sort of working class background where you're expected to get a working class job or if you're middle class or upper class. There are expectations um, for you to succeed perhaps in some areas, but expectations for you to not go into some areas and um, not to do certain things. And that really cuts across the board. And, you know, uh, if a, a guy might be expected to be tough, but he would not be expected to uh, practice an art or vice versa. And um, I would say that as we move into a more and more unstable future, uh, and a few other people began saying this, uh, that we're going to need to be much more um, of, of a generalist than a specialist. Yeah, so need to be I would say, right. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I think people have to have much more of a generalist um, mind frame, uh, mindset to function in this uh, upcoming world. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, it, it, it is interesting because uh, you you had a chapter on from obstacle to accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And you state that every field has its experts. That's what we we're just talking about. But expertise yeah. and technical knowledge is not wisdom. Counterintuitively, you said, perhaps mastery of the art first requires one to be totally mastered by it, meaning the art. Um, how do we overcome the obstacles to become more of ourselves and to express mm. our true selves uh, instead of being trapped in a world which is uh, probably calling for people to be experts in a certain field versus having this, um, as the warrior did, this variety. He was a painter. He worked with mm. his body. He had all these other things that he could do right um yeah and yet we haven't we haven't called on that um our colleges today uh actually are asking people to focus on one yes. thing um mm -hmm. and i think that the educational system um while it is great in what it does and and the kind of people that we have coming out of colleges it 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 doesn't help people be more of a generalist no, no, that's right. If you go to the very top colleges in the USA, they don't want you to have a good um, education or a good, you know, score in education across the board. They want you to be extremely good at one particular thing. And if you're not good at other things, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so th there are a couple of things to say there. And one is, um, you know, we all face obstacles in our life, uh, and some worse than others, perhaps. But um there's an idea today that, uh, for example, Mal Malcolm Gladwell says that really it's where you are born and when you are born that determines whether you will succeed or not. Uh, noticeably, you can't reverse engineer this. But so he would say that, for example, well, Steve Jobs happened to be born in the right year and, and was living around Silicon Valley at the right time. And if he'd been 10 years early or 10 years late, it wouldn't have happened. That is true. But what made uh, Steve Jobs kind of revolutionary was that, uh, you know, he introduced, uh, you know, different fonts to the computer. It all looked like a calculator before that. And uh, the reason he did that was he studied under a Trappist monk uh, learning calligraphy. Well, there is no way on earth that you could say that that would be likely or that he would be in the right time and place to learn calligraphy under a Trappist monk, yet he was able to use that and revolutionize computing. And if you look at many of the most famous people, certainly most of the innovators in different fields, they had horrible childhoods. Many of them nearly died or had deaths in the family or disease extreme poverty and um, it was really uh, going through and experiencing these obstacles that enabled them to push themselves forward in life and to become something and today we're not only told to specialize we're told that we you know we must uh, 
you know, protect ourselves. And if we experience some obstacle, it's very unfair. Whereas, you know, that was really what was propelling people. Uh, the the uh, artist uh, Edvard Munch, uh, best known for his painting, The Scream, uh, had deaths in his family, his mother and sister, um, all kind of poverty, a horrible childhood. And he said later on that that was his rudder. That's what gave him direction in life. And without it, he would be rudderless. And so I think we want to be very careful about thinking that, you know, if we're born in the right place and time, or if we have all the benefits, or if we have all, you know, all the, the luck and the privilege that's going to make us, usually that just cripples people. They, those people can become experts, but they never become innovators. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, that's a very important point you make. I mean, yeah. Steve Jobs is a great example. I happen to be reading a book. Um, that a, a gentleman wrote, Ken Rusk, um, mm. and it's and it's called Blue Collar Cash. And the interesting right. thing was that, you know, we have people that work in the trades. That our world has kind of moved. You know, we don't have enough truck drivers. We don't have enough right. people to, to do plumbing. Yeah. We don't have enough people to do take these roles. Yet college has said, hey, if you take these roles, you're going to make more money. But the reality is, it's not true anymore. Um, no, the truck driver is not. making as much as the well-educated person who came out and is a middle manager. Um, and yeah. those those roles and positions uh, require that they become a lot more versed and use their hands. And he said, yeah. he said there was an interesting thing, Angel. He said there's yeah. this step back moment. And I thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. when you create something with your hands, like you're a landscaper or an architect mm-hmm. or a, or you're a, or a plumber and you fix something or you build a house or you build a wall and you're a mason and you take the step back moment and you see what you created, there's a tremendous reward in that um, yeah. versus all these people that are working on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's a, there's a big difference. I thought that was a great uh, statement that he made. And you state that we're trapped in our that we do what we want to do, eat what we want to eat, buy what we want to buy, and believe in what we want to believe. Um, how do we move beyond the psyches and that we're trapped in by them and start to ask the difficult questions about how to live our lives? Yeah. Well, I think um, we have to question what we know. And I don't mean this in some kind of self-flagellating sense, but if, if you read the news and something shocks you, um, read, the, read the news from the opposite um, side's perspective. And usually you'll find that they have a different perspective. Some facts may be left out. Some facts may be distorted. And at least that way you can begin to realize like, oh, okay, there really are two sides to every story. And I would say approach life a bit like that. There's always something more we can learn. We don't have to have an allegiance to one particular um, side. Uh, and we should always be trying to go beyond what we know, really pushing ourselves. And um, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, if you can study uh study things that you're you haven't been exposed to before if you can meet meet different people with different perspectives but really try to learn and try to listen to people and let them speak and try to understand where they're coming from or understand different arts as it were um then you're going to be opened up to a, a different understanding of life that's more complex and nuanced and a little more forgiving and a little more creative as well you'll be able to come up with creative solutions yourself as well, which is what we need. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's almost like uh, when you look at that perspective, you look at it from, I remember Margaret Wheatley used to talk about ecosystems and, you know, it's Mm. the eco, all these ecosystems that are out there, um, they're all interdependent. And I think that's what you're really saying is the interdependence that we have and the ability uh, to right. operate within that, not our independence, but our interdependence. And Angel, yeah. in your chapter on fear and the higher self, you state that in our world today, 
estranged from nature and with a belief in science and faith in politics, many people in the West find it almost impossible to accept that life is inherently chaotic, unsafe, and often unfair, or that brutality can invade at any time, or that we will be treated unjustly. What are some of the ways to embrace what is happening in our world yet access the spiritual nature of life and transmute our beliefs to live from our true self, as you call it? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's very difficult for people in the West, obviously, at least of a certain income level, um, to realize that, you know, life is kind of brutal and unfair. And for much of the world, obviously, it's not like that. And, and for many poorer people in America or the West, it's also not like that. It's much more chaotic. And I think in a way, we've seen that, especially over the last uh, year or so with COVID, which has been, in in my opinion, uh, largely a, a kind of financial divide with people who are uh, middle class and who can work from home saying, you know, we will need to extend the lockdowns uh, and people that are living right on the edge and, and really need to uh, do something physical like cleaning or driving a truck or whatever it may be uh, to make enough money to pay their rent, saying, no, we've had enough of the lockdowns. And, um, yeah, we live in a strange and divided world. But um, in regards to understanding that life is chaos and it could all change very rapidly, especially, I think, the way things may be going, um, I, I would say that, um, in a sense, we just have to face that our civilization today is is unusual. It's not been like this until very recently. You know, think of um, uh, the World Wars uh, of uh, the 20th century. In On the first day of the Battle of the Somme, there were 20,000 deaths on the British side alone and 40,000 casualties on the British side. And, um, you know, that sort of mayhem may be relatively unusual. We saw two great wars uh, in the last century, many others as well. And uh, civilizations and countries can be wiped out very uh, quickly. And um, I think, uh, you know, we don't want to be morbid or paranoid about what may be, but I would say that uh, we should prepare ourselves as a whole, um, prepare ourselves to be adaptable for the future, uh, to make sure we're healthy, to make sure that we have enough of stamina and willpower uh, to go into the future and make changes in our lives or be adaptable and seize opportunities as they come uh, and not be a passive victim. Yeah, you know, you speak about the the ways things can change and how chaotic it is and that it is fragile. Uh, yes. People don't look at it as being that fragile. But on the other hand, the wars that are being fought, even though may not be physical, are emotional uh, wars. And also, um, you know, when you look at our cyber world, it's the war in the cyber world that's creating the division, uh, Mm -hmm. the divisiveness amongst us as individuals to question so many different things and to try and look at things in a different way. And, you know, between AI, artificial intelligence, having its Mm -hmm. effect on you know, how we do our purchases and how these things appear. Uh, thus, mm-hmm. the, the problems that we're seeing at Facebook, you know, it's, it's, I, I honestly, it's going to get worse for Facebook before it ever gets better. Um, yeah. And, and it is a challenge. I mean, do you, you want to comment about on uh, that war? Because there is a war being uh, fought in our cyber space. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, but I think, uh, you know, this war between different groups is often kind of, um, it's almost, I mean, it's a very passionate and angry, intense and destructive war that is extremely true. But, um, but you know, it, again, it is because people look at the, the other side or other people as, um, as not really quite human. And, uh, you know, I've even seen uh, people make comments absolutely to that effect that uh, people who don't agree with such and such a person on vaccines, let's say, are, uh, are uh, simulacra of human beings or excuses of human beings. They're not actual people. And it's really, it's very destructive, not only for society, but for our own 
conscience and our own soul when we refuse to look at people as actual people with uh, with their own lives and their own problems and um, and their own aspirations as well. And I think that we really do need to get back to the point where we can meet different people and uh, see that they are human beings. And being online all the time is one of those things that makes makes us think that other people are exactly how they've been portrayed in the media or by the you know the most angry uh, social media uh, posters out there, and it's not really the case. Uh, you know, people really need to stay, take a step back, realize that the people they're angry at are human beings just like them, and uh, hopefully you can meet them at some point, um, or, or people like them and understand that. Yeah, it's... Um... It's definitely a world where we're seeing chaos and wars being fought over the internet. Um, And that is escalating into physical stuff, uh, which is then manifesting itself out in the world, which you were talking about earlier, the anger. Uh, The anger that individuals have toward other individuals has been exasperated by this problem. And, you know, you state that society tries to protect itself from nature and from chaos, yet they mm. intervene. And then if yeah. you would speak with us about, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Guan and the Green Knight and the representation oh, yeah. of the five-pointed star, a sign invented um, by King Solomon. I know because of my wife's work in Hebrew, yeah. and you look at what what BOTA was done, Everything's around a five-pointed star. Um, right. So, so speak with us a little bit about that because it's on the cover of your book as well. Yes. Yeah. So, um, um, so in, re- in regard to the uh, five-pointed star in Gwyn and the Green Knight, uh, which is a, a Middle English uh, myth, and um, uh, in the myth. Uh, I don't know if there's a, actually a movie out now. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen it yet. But um, but in the original myth, uh, King Arthur's court are um, celebrating Christmas when a mysterious giant green knight enters the hall and uh, makes this challenge and says, uh, uh, I'll give anyone my axe who, who wants to chop off my head on condition that I can do the same to them next year. And Everyone there, including the knights, are a little bit nervous about this. But Gwen, one of the knights, steps up and says that he will allow that. And um, so he chops off the, the, the green knight's head. Um, the green knight puts his head back on and tells him to seek him out. Uh, Interesting. In yeah. A year from now. And um, and so he spends this entire year on a kind of pilgrimage towards his own death, as he would perceive it. But uh, before he sets out, he's given armor and a shield, and on the shield is a pentagram. And um, it has uh, different meanings. So one is refers to the four fingers and the thumb, uh, refers to the five senses, uh, to fellowship, generosity, courtesy, compassion, and purity, and also to the five wounds of Christ. And today, of course, we would think of the pentagram as a satanic symbol. If you watch Hollywood movies or or in witchcraft, it shows up there. But it has a long and very complicated history. In in architecture, it it embodies the the golden ratio as well, which is, you know, the perfect uh, uh, number uh, that you find embodied in in classical architecture. And you also even find it in Freemasonry early on. Uh, and in the, oh yeah, it's interesting yeah. how it's been distorted um, and the beliefs yeah. around it. Um, you know, I think my wife speaks about the Golden Dawn. You know, and right, so right, you, that's right. you you know you you look at this and and five pointed star and what you just said was so had so much meaning uh, yeah. in comparison to how people misinterpreted it and misinterpret so many yeah. different things, right? That's right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I think they need to be a little bit more educated about really what the true meaning and significance was, and it requires yeah. them to go back into history and really look yeah. at history, not not current day. Um, right. So, you know, Angel, if you were to leave our listeners with three important points from your book, and and what would they be, and what is the importance? 
of having them living their lives as this higher men in a modern world today? Yeah. So the three points I would say, develop your mind, body, and spirit. Um, we're, a, we're a whole people. We're not just an intellect. Uh, we're also our body. Uh, we're also creative people. Uh, we need to develop ourselves as a whole. Uh, secondly, I would say, try to give up criticism. There's criticism on online, media. It, we're constantly... Um, we're constantly assaulted by a criticism, whether it's aimed at us personally or um, at people in general or some political side or whatever it may be. It's very destructive for our, our spirit and our consciousness. Give up criticism and become a creator instead. You know, um, I like the mystic. Yeah, the, the, the mystic G.I. Uh, Gurdjieff said that, that we will give up our happiness um, before we will give up our suffering. And it, I think it's weirdly true that, you know, a lot of the people who are online attacking other people are actually are living perfectly, you know, perfectly comfortable lives. Um, but they, and they, rather than give up their suffering, they give up their happiness to suffer. It's a very strange human thing, but we have to make a concerted effort to give up criticizing, give up feeling angry and be creative. And Very importantly, and what's yes, the third one? I think so. Yeah, I would say uh, that realize that although you know you mentioned Ayn Rand earlier on, who says we should be rational producers, I would say that realize we are mostly non-rational. Uh, in the in the medieval period, uh, they had the idea that there was um, intellectus and ratio, and ratio meant rational thought, which was kind of like the workhorse of the mind. If you needed to to figure out a solution to a problem, you would use ratio or rational thinking. Right. But there was also intellectus, which meant contemplation. So if you contemplated nature or you contemplated the sky or a flower, um, you, they believed that you were actually um, contemplating the nature of God or you were contemplating something divine and you were absorbing it, in a sense, uh, from the divine that, there was this other way to perceive the world. And I think today we could say that not only do we have, you know, rational thinking, mostly we're rationalizing, but uh, let's say we have the potential to think rationally, the, the potential to contemplate, but we're also moving through different states of consciousness throughout our day, sleep uh, into hypnopompia, the state between sleep and waking, uh, maybe meditation, daydreaming, uh, contemplating aesthetics uh, and so on. And so we go through these different states of consciousness or flow if you're practicing, say, martial art or dance or yoga or, or maybe something else. And um, not to get stuck in the idea that we're rational because we're largely not rational. And that's why, of course, in a, as a tangent, that's why advertising doesn't speak to us rationally. It shows us images of happy people, bright colors, and so on to motivate us because we don't, we're not really motivated by rational thinking. So I would say, you know, realize we're not really entirely rational, cultivate the non-rational, whether that's practicing an art, the, the body, of course, health, uh, going out into nature and recognize that we're passing through these different states of consciousness throughout the day, uh, sleep, hypnopompia, uh, daydreaming and make those work for you. They all have a purpose. Uh, we're multidimensional uh, people and right. uh, we really want to grasp that multidimensional nature that we have and not reduce our own selves down to a cliche, I would say. Um, in regard to living as the higher man, which um, I think you can tell I, I regard as really developing our whole selves. And of course, I understand that most, you know, many people probably don't want to practice martial arts, but if you can make your body a little stronger, even if it's say through dance or through working out, or, that's going to be a big plus, you know, practice some kind of art, uh, calligraphy, painting, uh, some kind of design, whatever it may be, or, or creating, you know, redoing cars or something, whatever it may be, whatever is your thing, and cultivate the intellect as well, uh, understand culture. 
and um, develop ourselves as a whole beyond the cliches that people want us to be because maybe they're afraid that we're going to be out of their control, um, develop ourselves as a whole. And I think it's important to to have this sort of classical reference. You find this type of figure throughout history uh, to really realize that we're in a we're in now we're not at the end of the time. This isn't this isn't the perfect world and we're not going to make the perfect world probably. Uh, but this is another period of time and what we believe now, we won't believe in 20, 30, 40 years from now. It keeps changing and we need to be able to navigate that while really not selling our soul in the process and really encountering this kind of chaos and enabling that to make us stronger or becoming stronger through interacting with it, not giving into it. Yeah, you bring up some very important points there that uh, I think as a conclusion to our interview and to uh, our listeners knowing more about your book, um, you know, I think that um, becoming the man that you want to become in the age of chaos requires what Angel just said. And it also requires a bit of courage um, because you will have to muster up that courage to do that, and uh, a willingness to stretch, um, stretch yourself. You know, he's talking about stretching from a standpoint of the body, but um, I'm talking about stretch your intellect, stretch your body, stretch everything, um, thereby becoming more of a higher, uh, what, well, let's just call it a whole person. Um, and Angel, I'm going to direct the listeners to go to your website. Again, it's Angel Millar, and that's A-N-G-E-L-M-I-L-L-A-R. There you can learn more about Angel, his prior books as well. We'll put links to those books um, on this blog. Um, this book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in the Age of Chaos, uh, if you want to learn more about that, that will also be at the website. Angel, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of your insights and wisdom uh, about what it's going to be like to become this, I'm going to just call it, whole higher person in today's chaotic world. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm really glad you invited me on. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.